Hello, FBL managers. Welcome to the FBL Optimized podcast. This is episode number 60. Welcome back and thanks for listening again. I'm Sartab, your host today. This is the podcast in which we combine analytics with the good old eye test. Data or grass or data and grass, that's the question. My co-host Bas is out for this week again and uh, I am on my wildcard. So this episode will be a wildcard special episode. Uh, I have another great guest for you today. James Palmer, also known as Trout, is joining me uh, in today's episode. Uh, well, he needs no introduction among analytics circle. He's a legend. But for people who are not familiar, uh, Trout is one of the most prominent FBL players utilizing uh, optimization to a great extent. Uh, he has his own optimization model. He's one of the few people who has his own optimization model, actually. Uh, he played FBL for four seasons if I recall correctly, and three of them are inside top 100k. And the the fourth one is actually one, 101k, right? So you were so close. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that was a painful one. Yeah. <laughs> but more than that, he's a truly great manager by other measures we use in analytics, such as massive data rank. And of course, he's part of Elite 1000. Let's say hi to him first, Trout or James. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Sertop. It's it's really, really fantastic to be here. I'm very excited to be converting for one week only your podcast into a hardline analytics podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. <laughs> you're gonna it's lose fun. exactly. You're gonna lose your whole audience, I'm afraid, <laughs> but it's gonna it's gonna be worth it for the for the extreme insights that we're gonna bring. Yeah, with Holland. Yep. Uh well, I wanted to invite Trout because we are playing together this season. Uh, as parenthood is proved to be a difficult thing for me, I wanted to share the burden with someone who is familiar with optimization, plays analytically using projection data, and speak the same language in general. Uh, so I asked him if he can kind of like make our decisions together through the season, uh, because it kind of helps me to uh, put the FBL on the you know, back burner sometimes if the life is very busy. So, um, as you see, our ranks... <laughs> it's the same, we have the same team, and we are both on wildcard 8, uh, and making some plans for game week 8 and beyond. So, how do you feel about using your wildcard in game week 8, James? Hmm, how do I feel? In a word, I would say, <laughs> I'm poised. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm feeling really positive about it. I think it's, uh overall a good time to play it i mean of course i think that otherwise i wouldn't be playing it mm -hmm. um i think it's an exciting an exciting time to get an advantage on the field and i'm glad you're here for the ride with me because <laughs> i guess i'm surprised the game week eight wildcard it has caught a lot of mainstream appeal but maybe it's not caught on as much as i was expecting in the analytics community i think mm -hmm. most people are choosing to wait it out till probably game week 19 but no, 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 it's 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 good that we're both on it. Um, but, you know, since I am, I suppose, your puppet master, <laughs> and the, bra and the, the brains behind the beauty, it's inevitable. True. <laughs> true, true. Um, but yeah, I also think, I mean, it's been a tough start to the season, hasn't it? it yeah, it's it been was. really tough. And it I just, was. I know it's, it, the, the luck doesn't really work like this. Uh, who knows how luck really works? I clearly don't understand it. <laughs> but um, it's... It feels like a like a like a like a time to make a fresh start, and yeah. if we are gonna make make get this situation turned around, now now is the time. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, people were kind of th saying that people are motivated to use wildcard eight because they didn't have a really good game week in game week seven. 
But in our case, it's just different. We had a really nice game week in, in seven, and then now we are using our wildcard. I mean, in earlier episodes, I encouraged people to keep their wildcard until they need it. But, well, somehow we found ourselves to be forced to use wildcard eight, especially our decision in game week seven was uh, with the idea that we will use wildcard in eight so that we can utilize the double game week to a great extent. Yeah, we, we, we intentionally backed ourselves into a corner on that one. Yeah. I mean, the Game Week 8 wildcard is interesting, right? Like, I've had it, I think, in the back of my mind since about 10 minutes after the Luton Burnley double game week was originally announced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it fe- it's felt like every game week since then, it's kind of grown and grown and grown in my mind until it, it's basically the idea of not using it is is almost unbearable. Um, I think I think it's fine. Like uh, I think the the decision to go to hold it till later when there was about for us, I think probably about twenty points expected mm-hmm. to be on the table for us using the wild card. I think I think it's yeah yeah yeah. It, it, both decisions are fine. It's not a situation where I feel like there's clearly a right play or a wrong play. But mm-hmm. I'm but I'm but I'm happy with the decision. Yeah, perfect. Well, uh, before we discuss wildcard eight plans, let's start with a quick recap of the past game week, uh, with my game week and Buzz's game week. Um, so I finished the game week with 62 points, moving from 3.8 million overall rank to 2.7. A pretty decent game week. Uh, and Buzz finished game week with only 34 points, uh, bringing our head-to-head competition to 5-2, still in his favor. Uh, but like, despite me losing so badly, we have only five points between us now in FPL. Um, and yeah, ca- captaining Morris and getting Doughty were the highlights for me. And Bus surprised me by bringing Antonio this game week. Um, and we won't cover the model accuracy section today because we have a lot of things to discuss about Wildcard Eight. But let's start with checking our uh, fixture ticker. Um, for people who are not familiar with this, uh, so this is the projected point averages, and what we do is we get the projected points from several like several models. Uh, we just combine them and we divide uh, the entire like total points to minutes, multiply it by ninety. So what you see is average points per ninety minutes for every team, split by defense and offense, and defense includes. Goalkeeper and defenders, and offense includes midfielders and forwards. And Liverpool is topping our chart, meaning that for the next six game week, Liverpool has the best fixtures. And our fixture ticker is a little bit interesting because since we are using projected points, uh, it also takes the team's own quality into uh, consideration. So it doesn't really mean that you know Liverpool has the best fixtures compared to all the other teams, excluding their own seed strength. But we are also kind of using their own strength uh, mixed with it. And in the second rank, we have Newcastle. And then comes Manchester City. Then we have Arsenal, Tottenham, Brighton, Manchester United, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, and West Ham. And you might be wondering where the Chelsea is. And Chelsea is in the bottom half. We will talk about that in a second. But um, for this game week, the best fixture that you can target is actually Tottenham's. Uh, Luton game uh, if you check it I mean even though Liverpool has the best fixtures overall they're fixtured this game week they are playing against Brighton away but Tottenham is playing against Luton Town and defensively it is such a good fixture that their point average is 4.3 and that's the actually only game only game that makes to our top 10 percentile category 
Liverpool has great fixtures in game week 9, 10, 11. They are playing against Everton, Nottingham Forest and Luton Town. And also they are playing against Brentford in game week 12. And Newcastle is here because they are playing against Crystal Palace in game week 9 and Wolves in game week 10. And Bournemouth 12 and Chelsea game week 13. I'm actually a little bit surprised that uh, this game makes it to top 10 percentile in terms of defensively. Uh, like you, you don't see Chelsea as the, as a good fixture in general in most stickers, I guess. Um, and then Manchester City has Brighton in game week 9 and Bournemouth in game week 11. So those are favorable fixtures uh, for them. But as you might remember, Manchester City was leading this chart for a long time since the beginning of the season. But now they are at the third place because they have tough fixtures here. They are playing against Arsenal this game week. They are playing against Manchester United in game week 10. And in game week 12, they are playing against Chelsea. And then they are playing against Liverpool. So we will talk about why kind of we are dropping Manchester City players, especially Holland. But this might give you a good idea, you know, why it is. Because fixtures are kind of important for projections. Again, we will talk about it. And so Manchester City has really tough fixtures, despite being, a you know, very good team and worst teams we have Luton Town, Sheffield United, Burnley, Nottingham Forest, Everton, Wolves, Fulham, Bournemouth, Brantford and Chelsea and the worst fixture here for this game week is Luton Town against Tottenham offensively it's only 3.4 so we are kind of thinking that Tottenham will keep a clean sheet with a high probability but well, who knows? <laughs> I mean, that's the, in terms of probability, they are kind of it, it's looking tough for Luton Town, and Luton Town's fixture in general is really kind of tough. Uh, even after that, so they are kind of playing against Nottingham Forest, not too bad. But then they have Aston Villa, Liverpool, and then Manchester United consecutively, which makes the one of the worst teams. Well, the worst team uh, in terms of fixture quality. Okay, so this was the fixture ticker. Um, anything you want to mention here, James? Or can we switch to the wildcard well, discussion? I mean, I've just been staring at this for like five minutes and all I can think about is how hilarious it is that Chelsea are in the bottom half. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess the, the other thing that, that strikes me as kind of surprising um, is, is is how little correlation the picks that I seem to want to make bear to this to this fixture difficulty, right? Like, I mean... I am going for, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm almost certainly got Watkins um, mm -hmm. in my starting 11 game, game week eight. Um, but I'm surprised to see that Aston Villa are fairly, fairly far down um, and don't have a few, a huge kind of offensive rating there. But I, but I guess Watkins is such a talismanic figure. He, yeah. he, he probably consumes a large, por larger portion of that than most offensive assets. Similarly, like you've got Man United. If if Eze were fit, I would almost certainly be going Eze, um, even though he's towards the bottom. And then at the top, Liverpool. I'm I'm almost certainly only going to have Salah. And yeah. Then, yeah, Man City as well. I'm I'm, I'm not going to have many of those guys. So I, I I just find it find it interesting that it seems like my picks at the moment are being driven more by the quality of the individual player yes. than the strength of the team that they're playing for. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I agree. Uh, I think for some people, they want to work uh, their way to, 
like from the fixture quality, like fixture ticker, to their individual picks. But it's it doesn't work like that in FPL, as you mentioned. I mean, Watkins, for example, has great also bonus point potential, uh, and also like even though offensive average is pretty low, it might be because of let's say midfielders who is bringing the average down. So individual projections are much more important. But this is just for uh, people to have an idea of what's coming up. Uh, this was especially useful to um, mention that Newcastle has great fixtures defensively. When we were kind of like encouraging people to drop Chelsea defenders in favor of Newcastle. And people were like, yeah, Newcastle didn't keep a clean sheet for like X months. Like, how are you going to answer that? But then they kept clean sheet. Defenders got lots of bonus points to which we missed, unfortunately, with you. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about wildcard eight. We kind of talked a little bit about why we are wildcarding, what pushed this decision. Um, and the second topic we will talk about today is whether having Holland or not. It almost feels like content creators are using Holland as a bait, like. Oh, I created this team without Holland and I really like it, but I won't probably go for it. But in our case, I think we are seriously considering, like you are almost certain that you, we won't have Holland in our wildcard team. Would you like to explain why we're dropping Holland in general? Yeah, 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 I suppose so. Um, it's kind of an interesting one, right? Like... It seems like everybody's starting only in the last few days to come around to the no Harland thing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think from when I realized that, that, that Wildcard 8 was, was, was a reasonable possibility, I, I don't think I ever considered that Harland would be part of my team. I mean, it was fairly clear, probably before the season even started, that, that Salah would be, I think, the superior premium asset for the next handful of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, it's certainly clear to me before game week one that, that fitting both into a draft is, is, leads to some, some really, really nasty issues with flexibility yeah. and, and, and just, a, just an overall pretty poor team structure. Um, and I've, I've, I've almost been on a journey in the other direction, on the, in the other direction, right? Like I, I wasn't considering Haaland and now only seeing the discussions about wildcard this week, I've started to looking looking at ways where he might be included. But 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 yeah, to say the least, I'm I'm far from sold. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on on the Harland thing, Sertel? Yeah, I didn't really have much idea on that, and you know that last season I had a you know bad season, so I was kind of scared to go against like high highly owned players in general. But then I realized that. Well, I, I'm playing with analytics. Like, I shouldn't really care about the mm -hmm. ownership that much. And if you kind of, like, decide that you are not going to, you know, use that information. Like, we were able to captain Morris in peace last game week. I mean, I'm glad that things went okay. But um, for Holland, I didn't, again, have strong feelings. I just checked the model if, you know, forcing him in, if it is... You know, how, many, how much EV am I really losing? If it is only like 0 0.1 or something, then you might as well say that, yeah, I will play, you know, with less risk so that I will I will bring him in. I don't care losing 0 0.1. But if the EV drop is significant, like, I don't know, like 10 points, 15 points, 
then you are kind of thinking that well this might be my chance to actually catch up to high ranks actually so i i, I try to look at it with a positive light so i, I i'm perfectly fine going with yeah that that's an interesting it's an interesting way of framing it i'm not sure if i completely agree that as as analytics managers we should be ignoring effective ownership but i think we have tools available to us to th- to think about effective ownership in a different way yeah um than 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 we might if we didn't have access to these tools so i i mean i like to think about effective ownership and ev um and decisions based around effective ownership and ev in terms of the impact that they are likely to have on my distribution of outcomes by which i mean there's kind of a, a shape of outcomes um with a with a peak in the middle, which mm-hmm. is the average case. If I get really unlucky, I'll be off to the left hand side, and if I get lucky, I'll be on the right hand side somewhere. The decision to leave Harland out, um, I I do think that it shifts the distribution to the right. Um, I, I think it shifts the distribution yeah. to the right. I mean, in a kind of a, a non negligible way. But the more important effect and the more noticeable effect is that it widens the distribution yeah. of outcomes significantly. Right. So and I don't know that that's something that as a manager I really enjoy. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a fu- it's fun having an opportunity to set yourself apart from the field. I mean it, it's equally likely to backfire, right? But yeah. that that that's just what FPL is for me. I I really like taking these risks. I don't like hiding behind my sofa. <laughs> oh, no no I do like hiding behind my sofa. Yeah, you I, do. I like hiding behind my sofa in a kind of excited, uh, dominant fashion, yeah. which which yeah. which scares other people. Yeah, you live behind your sofa. Like exactly, your entire exactly. FPL decision history shows that. My sofa is is my fort, <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes even my barricade that that I use on the offensive. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, uh, and we will also talk about Richardson. Uh, we kind of generated some drafts, but we were using uh, yesterday's data. And then we got some new piece of information. It looks like Richarlison's uh, expected minutes will go up significantly, especially for this game week. Um, and bringing him in might actually open some new doors to us. But you will see that we don't have Richarlison in any of the drafts because his EV was not that high uh, to begin with. But one player that we kind of see when we optimize is Alvarez. I see Alvarez in most of the optimal squads, like raw optimal, I should say. Just, you know, throw the data to the optimization model and then run it, and then you get Alvarez and Watkins as forwards. But when I texted this information to James, James told me that, well, I don't know how I feel about Alvarez. Uh, I think I will drop him for Solanke. Why? Yeah, I did. How are we doing this, Sertal? By the way, we're going through these discussion points, and we're picking up on every other one rather <laughs> than every one. <laughs> but but that that's fine. Let's let's keep going with it. Alvarez. Yeah, I I think I am scarred. To be honest, uh, I, Alvarez is 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 far from a bad pick uh, in the short term, especially. I I think he's a really really good pick. I think if you are to make a rigorous argument against Alvarez. Um, the, the argument is in 10 game weeks time in, in 12, 15 game weeks time, I don't think his X-Men's are as secure as other forward assets or even other city assets. Um, and when, when, when the eventual city double comes in, I'm not sure that Alvarez 
is the one that I'll want to have in my team. Maybe it turns out he will be the one that I want to have in my team. But but right now, I think the, the level of certainty we can have about that is fairly low. Okay. But in in a similar sense, I I, I just am I'm terrified of 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 what he'll do to me um, <laughs> if he if he does drop out the team. I mean, this season we've had who get Gabrielle, we've had Richarlison, who were great, who's seen great short-term, but with, with some kind of creeping X-Men stouts <laughs> um, yeah. long-term, and they've just destroyed me mentally. And, and I just, I mean, it's weird thinking of thinking of Dominic Solanke as some kind of solid ground, but that, that, that is how he feels to me at this point. I just want a player who's who's going to start every game okay. um, for, from, from now till the end of time. More and it, it doesn't players. feel... Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I think for now Alvarez is, is close, but long term I, I just can't I just can't convince myself. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, by the way, I listed the discussion topics, but we will talk some of these when we are talking about the drafts uh in a second. So um I will also talk about talk a little bit about the process for wildcard optimization, how it looks like in general for us, and then we will talk about the captaincy at the end but let's start with the raw optimal oh, raw optimal team uh, number one so we are using fbi reviews projections we are using 0.85 dk so that's default uh, free transfer value is 1.5 free transfer use penalty is 1.2 so every time we make a transfer we are kind of penalizing ourselves because we are kind of like betting on that the fact that we will be able to do this transfer which is not you know Sometimes not the case because there are, you know, other players you have to replace. And bench weights are default and transfers are not allowed. So this is pretty much our baseline uh, configuration as far as the, the the parameters go. And in this optimal team, we have Onana in the goal. We have Cash, uh, Dalit, Udogi in defense, Mubemo, Salah, Rashford, Madison, Son in midfield and Watkins and Alvarez in forwards and bench consists of uh, Areola, Archer, Robertson and Zinchenko. Um, one thing that I will uh, mention here is that I kind of see that this is an interesting but most most of the time optimal teams this season have only three defenders and they are you are kind of like rotating them based on their good fixtures. But this midfield line, if you check it, um, they are kind of playing in every game, like every game week in this horizon. Because even if they have tough fixtures, they are able to play. Their projections are not that low. And I don't know. Like when I first ran this, I kind of liked the fact that it has also two Liverpool players that I can I can actually play. Yeah, this was the the, the baseline. So, any comments on this team? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would love to have a second Liverpool player in there along with Salah, but uh, uh, I just can't. I just can't quite make it work on my solver. Um, yeah, the the mid the midfield, the the five mids uh, trend is is interesting. Uh, I think it's just that there is so much value um, in midfielders in the kind of six six point five to seven point five mil range, mm-hmm. like. In Burmo and and Madison are are both just fantastic value for money. Yeah, and you, you know, and you've got others in there. Even if even if they didn't exist in the game, I think that the default structure would probably still be a a three five two mm-hmm. or a or a four five one. 
Um, I just think that the value is in midfield this year, as is so often the case in FPL. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. And if you just check the projections in the long term, you will notice that because of DK, uh, like we have better fixtures at the, at the beginning of the horizon. I mean, uh, Son is playing against Luton Town and Asala has great, uh, like three consecutive fixtures where we kind of captain him. And then we have Rashford with a really good uh, fixture in game week 12 against Luton Town. So you are able to cover almost like every good captaincy option with this kind of a team. So you are kind of rotating between Son, Salah and Rashford for only one game week. Uh, but we compare this to like Holland, where we will talk about captaincy uh, at the end of the episode, but whose projections are not as high as like, these people. So you mainly need Salah for captaincy for these fixtures. I mean, his EV is already high. Like, even if you don't captain him, you probably need him. It's pretty high. Um, and one more thing to notice here is that for midfielders, I mean, as, as I mentioned, the projections are really good overall. But this kind of a team, like, if you don't schedule any transfers, kind of, you are you might have some issues with the defenders. You might notice that their projections are not the highest, uh, especially like you are kind of playing uh, like Udogi against Aston Villa in game week 13, where the projected points is only 2.92. And also um, around that region, actually, like projections are around 3.0, more or less, which is not the, the best, but... Again, you are kind of playing defenders like at a minimal stage, like the, you are going for the you know best baseline you can find, and then midfielder uh, midfielders are essentially where the EV is at, as you mentioned. So the five midfield structure is bringing you lots of expected value or projected points, I should say. Um, and. So this was a default team, and then what if we allow transfers? Like, what if we try to, we ask optimization to come up with some scheduled transfers? And one thing that will that we we noticed immediately is Arsenal midfielders. So we need to have them eventually. And Odegaard is actually coming in game week ten in place of Madison, um, and then Saka is coming in in game week. Uh, 13, if I see it correctly. And then to make this happen, though, Model replaces Robertson and Udogi with Newcastle defenders. So it brings Trippia and Burn. And then Mubama is on the bench here uh, instead of uh, Archer. And the rest of the team is the same. So as you see, the structurally is the same, but we are selling Madison for Odegaard and then Rashford for Saka down the line to to actually have that kind of a flexibility, the optimization model is downgrading some of these players. Yeah, so what do you think about this one? Like bringing Arsenal midfielders, I think is important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the, the Madison to Odegaard move seems to be the kind of, I guess, thematic move of the of the game week of the game week eight wildcard, like it appears everywhere that you allow transfers, and when the solver is screaming at you to do a move like this or to, <laughs> to to plan in a move like this, it's worth planning in a move like this. We don't need Odegaard for the next few weeks, but um, you know we 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 sure as hell need him down the line. I think, uh, and Madison is just 
a really a really convenient temporary gap filler mm-hmm. for, for, for 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 the short while. So yeah, this team makes a lot of sense, and as we'll find out, it's relatively close to what I've landed on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you just check the projected points for the longer horizon, I mean, it is not too different. The only exception is, well, Odegaard has lots of good projections in that horizon. He's playing against Sheffield United with a 6.0 EV, and then he has like Burnley game, Wolves, Luton Town. So he is a player to, is a good player to have. And then we bring Saka. I mean, there are some now questions about Saka's fitness, but eventually, I mean, when he's available, um, Model is bringing him uh, for the games against Wolves and Luton Town. So. I think by that time we will need Arsenal midfielders as much. Well, Ode- we will have hopefully Odegaard, but then Saka is also coming into play here. And so if we just compare these two teams side by side, you know, what's different between them? Uh, plan one is the team without transfer scheduled, and plan two is the team with the transfer scheduled. Um, so for the first two game weeks, there's not there's not enough like big difference but started with game week 10 like medicine is playing against crystal palace with 4.3 ev on the other hand if you bring odegaard he will have 6.0 ev against sheffield united which is massive and then it, it that one alone actually takes you a little bit ahead of the first plan without you know no, no transfer schedule and down the line in game week 14 when arsenal is playing against wolves uh, so the the gap actually increases, you know, step by step, all all of these game weeks. But at the end, there is almost like six EV, like five and a half, I think, uh, EV difference between not scheduling any transfers versus planning to bring uh, Odegaard and Saka down the line, and that's actually enough to convince optimization model because even if we penalize these transfers with one point two or whatever your parameter is, it's actually worth planning around. Um, well, the downside is obviously you don't have uh, Robertson, but if you just check it, like for example, in game week 10, Robertson is playing against Nottingham Forest with 4.5 EV, but Trippier's EV is 4.3 against Wolves, so you're not kind of losing in some of these games. There are certain games where, uh, game week 11, where Robertson is playing against Luton Town, and Trippier is playing against Arsenal, but overall you come on top by replacing Robertson um, with Newcastle defenders, essentially. Robertson and Budogi, I should mention. Um, with this, let's talk about your draft. I think your draft looks similar structurally, but there are some differences. Ooh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, one thing one, one thing that we need to mention about our situation um, with respect to the, to the team that you just showed is that I think with that draft... Um, the planned move of Madison to Odegaard leaves mm-hmm. nothing in the bank. Yes. Which is obviously obviously something that should be avoided. Um, the question of how much you really want to leave in, in the bank in, in these situations is um, still, I think, quite an open question. Mm-hmm. But I, I like to leave, you know, half a million or, or a bit less in, in these kind of long-term planning scenarios <laughs> just to ensure that you've got some, you know, you've got a buffer, you've got some, some wiggle room there. Where if things aren't going your way, um, then 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 you can still make the plan work. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- th- this 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 team, um, as you can see, that the big 
I guess difference with the last one is Solanke instead mm-hmm. of um, instead Alvarez. of Alvarez, as we discussed. Um, this team actually has um, a million in the bank. Um, yeah. So the I think we're losing what 0.6 on the Madison to Odegaard move. Mm-hmm. So even even with that move, there there's still there's still a 0.4 buffer, yes. which to me is very comfortable. And besides that, I, I just feel very comfortable with this team. Right, like. <laughs> Long term, they all seem like fairly solid picks, and sometimes you can kind of overplay a wild card and plan too carefully, um, and things all fall apart once 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 um, once it, it starts to go down the toilet. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I've said this before with other wild cards that haven't gone so well, but but I I feel quite comfortable with this structure, and yeah. I. I feel good about keeping this team, well, the backbone of the team for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is yeah, it's a great team. And for people who are listening, so Trust Draft consists of Areola and Onana as goalkeepers and defenders as Cash, Dalot, Zinchenko, Burn, Trippier. For midfielder, we have Mubemo, Salah, Rashford, Son, Madison. So it's the same midfield line, and we have Archer, Watkins, and Solanke. So as you see, so the the main difference is actually Alvarez to Solanke from the um, the last soul. Um, I'm so sorry about that. That's just no, a no, classic so... noob noob podcasting error, isn't it? <laughs> not not reading out my FPL team for the for the listeners at home. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's okay. I'm, I'm not a pro at this, clearly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so when you first actually sent me this team, I was kind of um, surprised that you're dropping Alvarez for Solanke because Alvarez has great potential but then you kind of mentioned about his uh, expected minutes not being reliable and we got burned with Richardson and Gabriel as you mentioned so I I'm okay with playing playing it safe uh, like playing with more nailed players so to speak but yeah I mean this draft is great and Let's talk about another draft. So this is again a raw optimal team. This is number three, but this time we are using DK as one. So the when you use DK base uh, set to one, you are kind of also hoping to get those like future game week EV into account, and then it will bring some of the players who has great EV down the line to your team, like immediately. And in our case, we talked about this, but Odegaard and Saka. Um, I don't know if Saka's minutes will go down a little bit. I I haven't actually able to track the news, but it's almost the same team except we have Gayi in defense um, and midfield line. We have Odegaard, Saka, Mubemo, Salah, Son. So we don't have Madison or Rashford. So they're immediately replaced with Arsenal midfielders. And in forward we have Watkins and Alvarez the same. Um, and then in on the bench we have Ariola, Archer, Robertson, and Zinchenko. So Robertson is coming from actually from the first team again. Um, so if you allow transfers, the only tra- the only player it replaces is well the key player it replaces is um, actually it replaces Onana with Flacken, so that it can start with Rashford and Madison and then eventually get Odegaard uh, and Saka. So I found it a little bit interesting because if you use your DK, like if you, if you, if you, if you solve the problem with no DK, it's actually downgrading the goalkeeper uh, instead of doing something else, like instead of dropping Robertson, for example. So it 
I mean, there is also like some maybe discussion about you know what the DK should be when we are actually optimizing with the wildcard, but 0.85 is kind of like a proven value like over and over when we are doing FPL planning and short-term EV is much more reliable than long-term EV. But yeah, what do you want to say about that, James? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I am not at all settled on, on the goalkeeper pick. Um, mm-hmm. I I quite like the idea of Flecken. I, I think the, the real advantage of Flecken comes into play just outside of our, our 12-game week horizon on the 13th game week, probably. Um when when Brentford get their double game week. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Because you can very easily, assuming that we're not planning to, to free hit in the blank, you can very easily just bench Flecken for that and then play him. Admittedly, his second figure, sorry, his second fixture is Man City. So mm-hmm. it's not the best double in the world, but, but that's still a, an extra couple of EV. It's nothing to be sniffed at. Yes. Um, so... Flecken is 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 a presence in my mind, I, I think, and probably will continue to be. We'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I also kind of like the idea of not downgrading Robertson and then instead of like using Onana to, you know, provide some of these in the bank amount we need for uh, Saka and uh, Odegaard transfers. But again, I mean, having a bigger um, budget is useful. I mean, this team still has Alvarez, which can be easily downgraded to Solanke for extra cash in the bank. Um, yeah, no Newcastle players, though, in that team as well. Which, oh, which yeah. I think is really right. interesting. Yeah. Um, I cannot see myself going without Trippier. I think Trippier is just... He's just the pick, isn't he? Like, he's I, a beast, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Getting you, the bonus really to, to three-point bonus. Ugh. Every he's so good. Week. He's so good. Um, as much as I would love Robertson, um, I don't think he's going to come in at the cost of, of Trippier. Yeah. And um, if we just compare all of these four teams we have mentioned for drafts, uh, EV goes like like total EV. It's four hundred forty-six was the first uh, team, and then we have four hundred fifty-two. So you are kind of increasing six EV by scheduling transfers from one to two, and then. If we set DK to 1 and then solve without transfers, you get 448. So again, it is like 2 EV higher than the first team, which is focusing on closer game weeks a little bit better uh, by bringing Saka and Odegaard from the get-go. But if we again allow transfers and then uh, replace Onana with Flecken, that team EV, total EV is 453. So that team gives you the highest EV but at a cost of uh, lower EV for game week 8, 9. So those game weeks you are kind of a little bit sacrificing so that you can have higher EV, uh, like overall in total for the entire horizon. Again, it's something uh, that people need to probably think about and like, do I want to do this? Again, long short-term EV is more reliable because you know that players are available. Uh, there's always a chance of uh, getting uh, your player like players getting injured or maybe they are getting rotated like in the case of Gabriel like we we have seen um, but yeah I mean this is something to think about and another comparison I want to mention is this one where we compare optimal teams of several data sources uh, we have been using a fair reviews data for all of these drafts but how does it look like if we just compare 
um, FBI Review, Fantasy Football Hub, Fantasy Football Scott, and Mikhail Tokwam's data. And a disclaimer here that I am using the data from last night. So, for example, Hub has Estupinan in this optimal team, which needs to be replaced, uh, obviously. But, yeah, um, we talked about FBI Review's optimal team uh, several times, but let me go over the Fantasy Football Hub's optimal team. It has Johnstone and Turner as goalkeepers, and Castagne, Trippier, Cash, Estupinan, and Pinnock as defenders. Son, Bruno Fernandez, Madison, Saka, Mitoma as midfielders, and Holland, Vissa, Archer as forwards. In Fantasy Football Scouts' uh, optimal team, we have Leno and Areola, Trippier, Pedro Porro, Cash, uh, Alda, Kill, and Taylor as defenders. And then we have Bruno Fernandez, Salah, Diaby, Neto, Mubemo, and Holland, Watkins, Archer are forwards. And finally, Mikael Takwam's transfer algorithm gives Ariola and Flecken in the goal. Pedro Porro, Trippia, Cash, Taylor, and Baldock as defenders. Son, Bruno Fernandez, Rashford, Boven, Mubemo, midfielders, and Holland, Watkins, Archer, the same uh, uh, forward line. So as you see, Review's team and Mikael's team somewhat similar, but Mikael has more weight on Manchester United midfielders, uh, bringing both Fernandez and Rashford to the optimal team. While in Review's team, we only have Rashford in comparison. Um, any comments on these teams, James? Like, what, what do you uh, think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots to say. I mean, looking at those two columns in the middle, the hub and the scout teams... I mean, it's like staring into the heart of darkness. I don't know what's going on with some of these picks. You've got you've got Castagna in the hub team. That is an amazing pick. The 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 double Burnley defence from Scouts. I mean, I I'm just I'm almost gobsmacked. Like if not not to say that these are these are bad picks, but I would just love to see somebody play a full season with this model as their only input because they would play in in just the most amazing amazing way. It's fantastic to see this kind of. You know, humans humans are nowhere near as original as this. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. Other comments to make. I think it's interesting that Salah is missing from Mikel's, Mikel's, Mikel's optimal yeah. team. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that Mikel himself um, and Fabio Borges, who's a, a very heavy user of Mikel's model, mm-hmm. um, they both started the season with Haaland and Salah. Um, and I thought if there's ever any time, you know, that, that you would have Haaland and Salah, it would be for the Game Week 8 wildcard rather than yes. Game Week 1. Yeah. But I, I think it's just the the the, the state of the midfield when you've mm-hmm. got Son there um, and you've got you've got the United assets. I Yeah, I, I, I suppose there's just no way of stretching the budget that far, which which is a shame. Um, but besides that, yeah, I think it's interesting to see that Mikel and Review's model, um, they're, they're much more correlated than the others, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that both like Hobbs, Scott, and Mikel... You're right, by the way. Yeah, Mikel Tokbombs are more correlated with Review compared to others. But Hobbs, Scott, and Mikel, they all have Holland in the optimal team. And Scott model has both Salah and Holland. And you can see how destructive it is on the team. Like, you are downgrading several players. Do so you have, like, Diaby and Neto? Instead of like I don't know, like Son <laughs> Madison, uh, just so that you can have Holland in that team. Um, I mean, it is maybe. I mean, it will be hindsight optimal at the end of the things, but um, 
this kind of helps you to understand that to bring Salah, which Review really likes, and as you mentioned, Mikael's algorithm usually likes Salah, uh, you need to drop Holland. It's not kind of like possible to bring both of them at the same time and have a decent team, in my opinion, but yeah. Mm. Well, maybe maybe if you're bullish on Richarlison as an asset, then yeah, maybe that makes the maybe. task easier. But hey, that, that's a whole different discussion, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I mean, yeah, Richarlison, again, I think the, the, the problem is you kind of pointed out, I mean, great expected minutes this game week. And I also asked Yen about it. And um, yeah, he also thinks that he's minutes going forward might not be the best so hmm. i mean he was yeah a... i guess like yeah sorry okay. there's yeah a lot to talk about with the richarlison obviously i am biased and so are you sir out we, we can't deny it we <laughs> hate richarlison after what he's done to our to our not just our real points not just our massive data rank but you know our dignity this season holding him for those weeks and then selling him before that substitute appearance with the goal and assist was so so painful so yeah i i am biased and there is absolutely no way the 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 you know that fabio himself could convince me to own him um but but i think there's a there's a fairly sound argument against owning him um so obviously we know solomon who who was playing some minutes as uh, at left wing um, is out for for a few months mm-hmm. um, and in game week eight it's true Spurs basically only have Son Kulishevsky and Richarlison for their mm-hmm. front line I mean they have like I think they have Veliz who they signed from Argentina in the summer I think he's fit but I, I don't think there's any real possibility that he'll start um, and Brian Heal is back in training as well I, I I don't think he'll he's got any realistic chance of starting either. So those 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 players will will definitely be part of the front line, mm-hmm. and you can you can see Richarlison playing a lot of minutes, right? Especially if Son's if Son's minutes continue to be managed, um, if he if he can't play the full game, then probably, I mean the, the bench even even doesn't have many forward options. So you probably bring in one of those players for for Son, and then that's another boost to Richarlison's minutes. Um, so I I can totally see Richarlison's expected minutes for game week eight being somewhere in the eighties, which yeah. is probably the highest they've been all season. Um, so I think for game week eight, he's an absolutely fantastic pick. Um, and especially for those with, with Saka, who's an injury doubt and heading towards Man City and they've got no other holes to patch up in their team. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the move Saka to Richarlison, if you're, if you're wildcarding game week nine, especially, um, just looks really, really tasty. Yeah. But holding him beyond game week nine, when especially I think after the international break, we're expecting Brennan Johnson to come back and he'll be a, a major threat to Richarlison's minutes. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it being quite viable. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's as simple as that for me. I, I would really want Richarlison to be a great asset for more than one game week. And he's just not. And he's done this to us before. And um, I don't want to be Richarlison again. It's not very fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like burn, getting burned twice by the same player, that could hurt. Oh. <laughs> I agree. Um, so another topic I want to talk about today is, so when we are using these parameters and then we are using the optimization model to come up with a team like this one uh, that we have mentioned, 
But then you don't know how reliable some of these picks are. Like, can I replace like Watkins with an alternative or another like midfielder with an alternative without losing too much EV? Or if the EV drop will be so significant that I need to lock this player down. So for that purpose, actually, sensitivity analysis is particularly useful because expected value changes every day almost. Um, and actually, that sensitivity analysis was the first uh, kind of like thing we did together with James. He was a guest uh, for my tutorial series where he actually presented the idea of using these kind of like perturbations, and then you can optimize over and over again to see. Uh, what the percentage of player appearing in the optimal team. So whenever we talk about these things, people think that, the, oh, there is a single optimal team and every other player is not optimal. So they are kind of like using those players against like analytics pick, saying that, oh, you didn't pick this guy, but then he got like 20 points. But the reality is sensitivity analysis is particularly useful. And for that purpose, I use FBI reviews model. I'm using our Python solver um, with 12 game week horizon. So it's the longest horizon we actually present today. And we also enable transfers down the line with a slightly higher decay 0.9. I just wanted to have picks that are good for longer term. And for goalkeepers, it's actually a little bit all over the place. We have Areola appearing in 46% of the optimal squads. Sanchez 40%, Onana 33%, and Flecken 30%. So I think goalkeeper selection will be interesting. There are some options actually. You can actually downgrade with without losing too much EV so that maybe you can do something else with that extra budget. Or, I mean, you maybe go for Onana uh, just to play safe and get your EV. Um, what do you think about goalkeepers in general? Wow. Allison is an absolutely wild pick. I can't even. I, I can't. I can't believe that I've not even considered Allison. That's exactly the kind of thing that I would go for. I mean, I remember I really, I really stirred the pot in. I think it was probably two thousand and twenty-one. I think it might have even also been a game week eight wild card when I suggested going for Edison. Um, <laughs> yeah. And back then, going for going. I think the the the. The the, the 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 landscape's changed on this since. Yeah. But back then, going for a six million priced goalkeeper was not something that anybody did. Yeah. And um, I got a lot of a lot of negative feedback for that, and I can't <laughs> imagine how people would react if I picked Allison. So I'm definitely going to have to play around with some some, some solves <laughs> between now and the deadline, and see just how much Allison, just how much he costs in terms of in terms of what I'm sacrificing to get him in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be fantastic. Might be fun, yeah. But you're right, I mean, uh, the prejudice against premium goalkeepers, I mean, it changed uh, over the years. But yeah, there was certainly people who are completely against the idea of having premium goalkeepers. Even now, I mean, people, people just kind of don't enjoy seeing goal, premium goalkeepers in a draft. But yeah, you're right. Bringing Ellison in will be really fantastic for that purpose. We also talk about so much having more Liverpool players. Maybe he's the one. I don't know. Yeah, I hadn't even considered it until now. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's a fun one. Glad it's helping you. And for defenders, there are some picks that are above all others, and the remainings are somewhat replaceable. So we have Dalit at seventy-six percent. Trippier, again, 76%. Zinchenko, 70%. 
cash 63%. So these four are pretty much like in most of the squads and all the remaining ones are below 50%. So they're kind of replaceable. So we have Burn, Pedro Porro, Colville, Udogi, um, Taylor. I even see like Robertson with 13%, even though he appears in uh, no transfer scheduled plans uh, from the get-go. But as you see here, he's not really a robust pick if you are kind of also tr scheduling transfers down the line uh, for the longer horizon. And I see Alexander-Arnold at 6.67% uh, at the bottom of this chart. And what do you think yeah. about the the top four? Uh, I'd love to have I'd love to have Alexander Arnold in again. That that would be that would be a lot of fun, but but it's not going to be game week eight for me. Yeah, my feeling is is pretty much reflected in what you said. I think that several of these picks, Dallow, Trippier, uh, Cash, probably Zinchenko, are almost nailed in with these with these no Harland drafts. I I just think they're very clear outliers um, in terms of the value that they provide, um, and I probably will just be going for these for these top five most um, most robust assets. Pedro Porro is a fun one if you want to mm -hmm. um, burn a bit more cash to pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you'll pardon the pun, um, I can. <laughs> yeah. Besides that. Yeah, the further down the list you look, the more fun it looks, but the, the less <laughs> I'll be able to forgive myself for going for it. I mean, bringing back in Gabriel, could you can you imagine oh, no, no, if we no, no, if we no, no. if we wildcarded in game week eight and we had Gabriel and Richarlison, <laughs> I think that you know, that, that would be a sign that, that um life is, is pointless and we're all just going in circles without without any real progress being made. I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't want many players from my game week one squad. I mean, I I thank them for their uh, effort for bringing my rank to two point seven million. Yes, but yeah, I think it's time to part the ways. Uh, yeah, I'm more excited about having like Trippia or I don't know. Some of these picks are probably talking more to me. Um, and midfielders and forwards in midfielders we have son and salah with 100 percent so they appear everywhere which is surprising because in sensitivity analysis i mean i didn't run too many of these iterations only 30 but you usually expect these players to you know at most appear in 90 or 95 percent of the time not 100 percent it's incredible that they both appear with 100 percent uh, Son and Salah, so those two are actually pretty much locked. And then we have Madison 90%, Mubemo 90%, and Bruno Fernandez at 53%. So these four actually, Son, Salah, Madison, Mubemo, is locked for no Holland uh, teams. And then Fernandez, Rashford is 40%, Richardson at 10%. I can't really believe seeing Richardson again <laughs> here. But yeah, so the fifth pick might be one of these, depending on what you are trying to do. Um, mm. yeah. This is interesting. Yeah, Richarlison, I can't believe he comes up here, because you, you actually ran these last night before the Solomon news came out. Yes, yes. Well, probably um, his percentage is higher now. Yeah, almost certainly, almost certainly. I, mean, I would also expect the the fact that he, he, he is inevitably, his stock is rising, um, probably means that with another good value option in midfield, the stock of Son and Salah goes down a bit, um, and Haaland maybe 
as we'll talk about in a sec, comes up. Um, what else is there to say here? I, I, I Looking at these lists almost just makes me wonder why I spend so long thinking about FPL. Because you, all you need to do is run one algorithm. You've got two of the top three goalkeepers. I'm picking the top five defenders. I'm picking probably five of the top six midfielders. Oh, it's just, what, what is the point, you know? What is the point? <laughs> I didn't want you to, you know, get into depression, yeah. but yeah, that's pretty it's much It's okay. It. I mean, it's it's not our fault that the algorithms that we've made are are better than us. We, we've been yeah. we've been exceeded by our own creations. Unfortunately. Haven't we? It's, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it is what it is. I don't know. Well, I always uh, say that FPL is not a good game in general. I often compare it to Monopoly. That's how I feel. I mean, you do, it's almost like entirely based on luck. Uh, yes, there are that's some... That's a fantastic s- comparison. <laughs> Thank you. In fact, it's probably worse than Monopoly because in Monopoly, I think there is some strategy. I mean... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find yeah, them very similar. I, I know I hate Monopoly. Just just set, setting the record yep. straight. And um, I hate FPL. <laughs> maybe we should delete our teams instead of yeah maybe we should become um, Monopoly Trout and <laughs> yeah, we'll become a, start a Monopoly podcast <laughs> that would be that'd be fun yeah and one more thing to note here is that since I'm enabling transfers here uh, so it's able to schedule some of the transfers that might be the reason why Richardson is here so maybe it starts with Richardson and then drops him Maybe in a game week or two. Um, but yeah, something to keep in mind. And let's talk about the forwards. We have Watkins appearing in 93% of the squads. And then Archer. I mean, Archer was in all models optimal team, as you can recall. I mean, as the bench forward. We have Solanke and Alvarez, both at 33%. Which kind of actually supports your point, James. I mean, we were talking about you know Alvarez appearing in... The optimal team if you use the default parameters but then Solanke is actually when you perturb the values appear at the same rate as Alvarez which mm. is great yeah it's interesting isn't it I hesitate to kind of derive the conclusion that Solanke is as good an asset as Alvarez no, from, no, 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 just no. from this yes. I mean because because obviously it's a, it's it, it's not many simulations so you never know yeah. but it is it's definitely a sign that Solanke in many of these solves that we've been doing, kind of lurks just beneath the surface. Yes. Um, like a like some kind of crocodile waiting cr- to pounce on those fixtures. <laughs> yes. The, yeah, the, yeah. That's a good some other interesting names coming up here. I can't believe Calvert Lewin's there six percent of the time. I guess this is just sometimes you get you get some crazy scenarios, and the way that the way that sensitivity analysis works by the way is it's just basically pulling what the hindsight optimal team is is likely to be in a certain realization of the future yeah so it's not saying that you know it's there's like a six percent probability that calvert lewin should be in the optimal team or something like that it's just an estimate that in six percent of wacky future realities calvert lewin is a hindsight optimal pick yeah, which exactly. i guess i can believe I mean, yeah he's okay. yeah yeah you know he's a footballer he sometimes kicks <laughs> the <laughs> kicks the ball he sometimes kicks the ball in the goal so as does erling Haaland, who's even lower three percent mm. Mm, wild. I, I, yeah, I, 
I can't help but think that this may be a modelling issue. I, I cannot believe that Haaland is only in 3% of hindsight optimal. Just one team. Well, yeah. Yeah, but but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I think for Haaland team, it drops Salah. So it's the probably the only case where Salah actually... Well, I'm saying this, but then Salah is 100%. So maybe mm. he's trying to fit them both in. Probably. Anyway, I can, I can check it for you. Yeah, and these are the results of sensitivity analysis. One more thing I want to talk about this thing over here is if we compare a regular optimal with the optimal team with Holland forced in over the 12 game week horizon, you are losing almost like 10 EV. And what happens is it drops uh, Cash, Salah, and Onana for Colville. Gibbs White and Areola, so that you can actually have Holland in your team and still have a solid EV, but even that one is 10 EV less. I always use, I don't know, for some reason I use 0.5 EV per game week as kind of like a measure for myself. So if forcing a player in, in this case for 12 game week, is going to give me more than 6 EV difference, then I probably don't do it. I mean, I don't trust myself enough to. You know, force this player in because I really believe in him. I mean, 10 EV is significant uh, in general, and it's more than my threshold. So that's why I kind of, um, I don't think Holland will be part of the uh, optimal wildcard team. Mm. I mean, that's really you're the puppet master, yeah. so you will probably. I really like that. Uh, I've not I've not thought much about what the right benchmark is for for this kind of decision um, and the number of points per game week you're willing to sacrifice. But I quite like the benchmark of 0.5. That feels mm-hmm. about right to me. I think in general, kind of the points per game week metric um, or EV per game week metric is kind of underrated in the analytics community. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of people talking about the. Um, kind of some EV difference across mm-hmm. their drafts, but always in in a longer horizon solve, differences are going to be bigger than in a shorter horizon solve. So thinking about it in terms of in terms of EV per game week makes a lot of sense. I quite like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so again, we talked about this over and over again. But so if we enable transfers, the first transfer the model is scheduling is medicine to Odegaard on uh, game week 10 uh, and for this one uh, actually as you mentioned this actually so for the team we have mentioned with you know Sanchez and Onana it is only leaving 0.6 in the bank so when game week 10 comes it replaces medicine with Odegaard and then you have exactly zero in the bank so these kind of plays are actually very dangerous i should mention i mean in terms of flexibility you are kind of really hoping that you know by the time you sell medicine either his price will be higher so you will you know sell him for higher or odegaard's price will stay the same which is well unlikely in most cases because most of lots of people will start transferring him in probably for those good fixtures so that's why it is worth i mean i just kind of recommend people to check you know what the in the bank amount is every game week and see if it makes sense i mean if you are having exactly zero in the bank for game week 10 this is very unrealistic i should say i mean anything that can go wrong will go wrong (laughs) and so you won't be able to probably afford odegaard in that case so 
that's why I kind of like the idea of having more in the bank when we're using our wild card. Yeah, I think there's a lot that needs to be probably publicly discussed and written about the different ways that you can, um, I guess, codify um, constraints relating to the amount mm -hmm. of money in the bank in optimization models. Because it's a yeah. really, really, it's something that I've thought about a lot. And it's uh, really, really interesting, an interesting area. And it's still much more an art than a science. But if you're making your own optimization model, there are, there are a lot of neat tricks that you can use to say, I only want you know this constraint to apply to future game weeks and not for the current game week, because obviously I know that I can get away with a, a, a zero in the bank gap in, yes, in, in the next true. game that's week, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, but I'm yeah. very unlikely to be able to get away with it in eight game weeks time. Yeah. So yeah, 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 probably this isn't the best forum for this discussion, but it's, it's really, really, really interesting. Um, yeah. I personally like to leave for future planning generally like at least kind of 0 0.3 0 0.4 um in the bank um just as a as a kind of a long-term buffer mm -hmm. um anything tighter than that i feel i feel very bad about um <laughs> and yeah if if i mean some, sometimes i'll allow it if i can get the asset in earlier yeah. as, as an emergency resort but in yeah. general in general yeah i do like to keep a bit of a buffer there it, yeah, it makes sense um yeah, one idea that I kind of mentioned to you uh, before we started recording, actually. You can even, like, penalize some of these transfers. Like, you can say that for every transfer, I will lose 0 0.1 or maybe even, like, 0 0.2 in the bank. So if you kind of give it to the model, it never will... It, it won't be able to schedule these kind of transfers because it, it will be infeasible uh, by definition. But, yeah, so... Yeah, some of these discussions are actually needed in the community, so thanks for bringing it up. Definitely. And finally, captaincy. Well, <clears throat> if you check the ensemble model, Holland is 6.22 and Son is 6.07, even though Holland is playing against Arsenal away and Son is playing against Luton Town. So in my mind, Son has the better fixture. Um, the funny thing here is Holland is the top pick for Draft Town, Fantasy Football Fix, Fantasy Football Hub, and Son is the top pick for Fantasy Football Scott, FPL Review, and Mikael Toklam's transfer algorithm, and FPL team is favoring Salah. Um, the funny thing is FPL Review doesn't have Holland in top five options. I mean, Holland is sixth, if I remember correctly. Uh, even though Holland appears higher in most of these models, except Mikael Tokwam. Um, I feel like FBR Review and Mikael Tokwam has more weight in the fixture quality than the player's own quality as as far as the modeling goes. Uh, what do you think, James? Mm. Yeah, again, it's interesting to just note that FPL Review and Mikael Tokwam, who have, I think maybe put the most time into their into their models than any of these mm -hmm. um i mean they put many many years of their lives both of these people um into their model it is interesting again to see how correlated those are which i think gives me some security that son son is is maybe the best pick dependent on x-men's but that, that's something else to discuss entirely 
And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just very interesting because intuitively, I I agree with you, right? I feel like Son against Luton is just a better fixture than 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 Haaland Haaland against Arsenal. And yeah. my yeah, my intuition definitely lies there. So it's nice. It's nice to see. I guess the models that I prefer to use agreeing with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess more like the models we use more like FRU and Mikael Tokwam are Yeah. I mean as as they give more weight to the fixture difficulty, I think it talks more to us. Uh because mm. we kind of feel like you mentioned it actually before again the recording that team strength is an easier way to model than the player's own quality, which might actually vary quite a bit and might not be that reliable, but team quality in general, or fixture quality, I should say. I mean, Luton Town, Tottenham, they will score, I mean. I mean, they will probably score. I can't really imagine Tottenham not scoring. Uh, well, there is a probability always. I mean, I'm not uh, saying that it's a certainty. Oh, so, so what have you done? Oh. <laughs> I ruined it. No, it's going to be like blank. Luton now, isn't it? That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, it's this... interesting. I mean, there's almost like unlimited nuance to be had in this discussion. I think, mm-hmm. like, a lot of this difference could be derived from how well the models are capturing Son's position. Yeah. Because obviously, this That's is, true. by the way, another interesting point that obviously Son's position. I think we're now expecting the bulk of his minutes to come at centre forward instead yeah. of left wing, which is what we were expecting at the start of the season. And different models are likely to have captured that in different ways. Um, and on a similar vein, when we were talking about Richarlison earlier, it's interesting to think about how we might have expected Richarlison's um, minutes to, to 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 change across the season. Because I was having a play around with on review earlier today. If you put Richarlison's X minutes up to, let's say, mid-80s, yeah. and you shift Sons down a bit, which I think is fair to do to account for the fact that he's likely to have his minutes managed. Richarlison is almost like a, he's a proximal, optimal captaincy pick. Like, yes. you, you can... Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 seriously. I mean, but but it's it's really surprising that to me because well, that Richarlison kind of, just... Yeah. On on similar minutes, or, or slightly 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 better minutes, Richarlison should surely should not be better than Son. So I did a bit a bit of a deep dive into this and um I was surprised to find that compared to uh, kind of game weeks one to three, when we were expecting all of Richarlison's minutes to come at, pretty much all of Richarlison's minutes to come at centre forward, his underlying rates, um when we when we plug the same minutes into review, his underlying rates have actually gone up since then. Yeah. So I suppose there's some effect there of Spurs being a better team than we thought they were going into the season and in those first couple of game weeks. That's definitely an effect. But I'm also just wondering if if these numbers and Richarlison's numbers earlier haven't, I guess, full, fully taken into the account the positions that we're expecting this Spurs front line to play. Yeah. Like, I, I just personally can't believe that Richarlison is anywhere near as good an asset at left wing than he is at centre forward. Um, and I'm wondering the same about Son, how well these models all understand that the bulk of Son's minutes are likely to come from centre forward for the time being. That's a really good point that you raise. Huh. 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the position matters, obviously. It, it changes your output level significantly. It's one of the most important parameters in a projection model, probably. But whether you have it in your model or not is a question mark. I mean, most of the time, because sometimes people just check the, you know, FBREF data, and then they just, you know, put all those XG and XA and whatever X clean sheets into a model and then J generate. But the, you're right. I mean, the position matters quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so a lot of these, a lot of these models, you would expect to kind of capture the the change in position in a pretty complete way implicitly because they a lot of these will be taking um the betting odds into account and of course betting odds we would expect to be able to capture data like changes in position mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah it would be interesting to look into and in trying to work out which which of these um which of these models do take betting odds into yeah. account and which which don't yeah, yeah. agreed okay um so this was our wildcard uh, optimization, wildcard draft talk. But before I let you go, James, I have two questions for you. Uh, despite having the same team, <laughs> you seem to be doing much better than I do mentally, uh, especially when Gabriel and the Richardson blanks, or I should say the disasters, that's a more fitting word. Uh, you came back with a more positive attitude uh, after the bad game weeks we have. So... How do you do this? How do you stay away mm. from the game or how do you stay positive in general? Yeah, what do I do? God, I don't even know. I think I think probably through, through the middle of the week, from the end of one game week to another, I just, I do a lot of hard drugs to... <laughs> to no, 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 that's a joke. Um, I... I think I am stay away a sadist. From social media. Oh, sadist, okay. Yeah. So no, no. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm joking slightly less about that, but still, obviously, slightly tongue in cheek. I have, I think, through um, through through a kind of a wealth of awful experience with awful experiences with FPL, I've managed to kind of gain a separation to some extent between my my emotions and my outcomes, uh, much better than I had a couple of years ago, for example. Um, and while in the moment. I definitely do get emotional um, when when my captain blanks or when Haaland destroys us in game week eight. <laughs> um, I do get emotional, but but I'm but I'm able to brush it off faster, and I'm able to kind of think of it as one of those funny things that happens and just happens to happen a lot more to me and you than other people, mm -hmm. um, and and that's kind of fine. Um, yeah, I guess in the during the week I, I don't think about FPL a lot. Hmm. And that that's again something I've definitely got better at the last couple of years. I would be constantly checking. I mean, I, I think partly I had more free time a couple of years ago, and I would just be checking up on the FPL news and mm -hmm. checking my live rank all of the time. And it was really, it was really affecting my headspace um, and becoming more distant from it's really, really helped. Um, yeah. In terms of kind of, I guess there's that's almost like the mood is one thing, and then the ability to react. Um, in a measured way to outcomes is is another thing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think in some way um, the, the last year has been so unkind to me in FPL that kind of all of the bad outcomes have blurred into one. 
mm-hmm. and I can't remember any anymore. All I know <laughs> is that last game week was probably a bad game week. And I, I can't remember why it's a bad game week. I can't remember if it's a bad game week because Harlan destroyed my rank or if it's because, um, I don't know, Son blanked or, or, or something like that. Um, all I remember is that it's a bad game week and I need, need to improve my decision-making process going forward. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's really just about it. Like, I just try not to think about it. Um, but I'm getting better and not yeah. thinking about it as well. I see. Okay. That's a great answer. And my second question is, now that massive data rank is tied to actual minutes, we're kind of ruined with you. I mean, I checked very briefly when the season review was uh, alive for a short bit. Um, well, you always had a great MD rank, but this season it might be a little bit more challenging than usual. But yeah, what's your target for this season? I mean, if we are not targeting or are you targeting something or are you just trying to have fun? That's a really good question. Yeah, I don't know anymore. As as you said, I, I think that having a kind of an unblemished, like I, I felt like not so much last season, but probably the two seasons before that, I had a fairly unblemished record with my decision making. Mm-hmm. I think I got really, really lucky over those two seasons um, with how my picks, especially on assets with fairly risky minutes, uh, panned out. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened, I think, to still to some extent last season. Um, probably it was about average. And this season has just gone terribly. Uh, I think there's some some effect where I haven't been making as good decisions as previous years. I've definitely been spending much less time um examining minutes just because i don't really have the Mm -hmm. time to do that at the moment um i just don't have the time to spend to spend two hours um for a couple of days just really diving into the minutes that my assets are playing and i I think it's difficult to argue that that hasn't had an effect my my minute security has just been absolutely awful um Mm -hmm. again yeah gabrielle just was, was terrible richarlison was the same um We've had lots of captains who have had unexpected kind of early substitutions and pretty much everything that could conceivably have gone wrong has gone wrong. (laughs) And we're definitely um, the top, I guess, underlying ranks for us. Maybe XG could, could still be, could still be up there, but definitely in terms of, in terms of EV accumulation, I I don't think that, that we're going to be anywhere near the top. Um, So in terms of my actual goal, I think my only goal is to beat Anthony at <laughs> FPL Simpson on Twitter. Um, it would just bring me so much joy to do better than him for one season. Um, that would just, it would put, it's the only thing at this point that could put a smile on my face. I don't care where I finish. I don't care if I finish top 10K, top 20K, top 50K, two mil. As long as Anthony does worse than me, that's all I care about. <laughs> Because he was pretty lucky last two seasons, so you just He's just of... I mean, yeah, he's I mean Anthony is just a joke of, of, of an <laughs> FPL player. Um he's he's first of all, he, he when he makes good moves, he usually copies them from me. Um <laughs> and also he, he he rarely makes good moves. So so even saying that is a stretch. But he just he always he's always riding the waves of luck, you know? And I I just I can't wait for his his comeuppance. 
I can't wait for this run that he's he's been on to end, um, and I can't wait to bring him down a peg or two. <laughs> that that's that's all I want in FPL, and at this point in life, oh, I just want to beat him. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. Mm. What okay. about you, Sir Tap? What are your what are your aims this season? Uh, I don't know. To be honest, I think. Um... At the beginning of the season, you're always thinking about, like, oh, can I make it to the top 10k, 100k? I mean, it's still early in the season, and the ranks are pretty much dense, so that there's still a chance, obviously, but I feel like it doesn't really bring me any joy. Like, even if I was in, like, top 10k right now, would I feel more, like, satisfied with my experience? I think I'm just trying to, well, enjoy the the games I watch. I... I don't watch all the games. I I try to catch one or two games. So when I whenever I have players in that game and if they do well, I'm just enjoying it. Uh, last season was pretty um, brutal for me in terms of you know tying my happiness to FPL results over the weekend. It was affecting impacting my entire weekend. So I'm trying to stay away from it. So I am trying to um, keep myself from defining a target for myself. I mean, I would love to win my work mini league, uh, or mm. like beat maybe Buzz, maybe Sigurd. I, I, it always makes me happy to be on top of him. But um... I would love, I would love to win my work mini league too. Um, what <laughs> this week? One of my rivals at work, who hasn't made a transfer since game week two when they brought in Tonali, scored a hundred and nine points. They had Watkins captain, which they've had since game week one. Really? They had they had um, Ben White. They had Trippier. They had oh Odegaard. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And and despite the the fact that the only move that they've made has been to bring in Tonali in game week two, um, they're they're actually now ahead of me in terms of oh, overall really? rank. So <laughs> maybe my perfect. aim is just to beat is just to beat that one person. But yeah. at this point, I don't even know if that's going to happen. Yeah, as I say, it's Monopoly, man. Like, you you never know. Like, exactly. The worst player exactly. will get the best luck. It's well, such a bad game. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it for today's episode. Anything you still want to add before we close the episode? Hmm. No, 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 no. Nothing in terms of the content, but I'd just like to say it's been a pleasure. And mm-hmm. thanks for having me, Sir Talp. Yeah, it was a pleasure to host you. And hopefully we will see you more often in the podcast if your time allows and if your season goes well so maybe you can come and talk about how yeah is a bring me back again. bring me back after a, after a really good game week okay that's what you need to do you need <laughs> okay. to you need to I wait will. until i have an absolute screamer of a game week uh, until we have an absolute screamer of yeah, a game yeah. week and and bring me back so that i can <laughs> i can talk about how great it was because talking about um, our misery is much less fun yeah yeah i agree Again, thanks for accepting the invite and uh, being here. And before I close the episode, let me give some updates to our mini league. We have 272 teams now. Our mini league leader, Max Apollo, is at 493 points. Make, uh, so he's at 4K overall rank. Uh, pretty solid. And if you're not in our mini league yet, make sure to join the fund. The code is 0JSDLA. And also our analytics Discord actually reached... 1,000 members the previous day. So we are a big, very big community now. Um, this was FPL Optimized Podcast, episode number 60 with the legendary Trout, James Palmer. Thanks for listening. 
Good luck with making your game week 8 decisions and your wildcard decisions and may your arrow be green. We will be back with another regular episode next week when the boss is back, hopefully. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you will get notified when the next episode is released and do follow us on Twitter. For me, it's at Sertar Bilal and for boss, it is at BelfiBB and for James, it is FF underscore Trout and you can also find FBL Optimized on YouTube this season until next time stay curious and stay analytical goodbye bye